0: it as the undying faith of a dying man. And begin with his faith in the present. We're in Second Timothy chapter four, verse six. "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come." Paul's current circumstance was not the best. And uh, you may recall he's essentially on death row. Nero had burned the city of Rome and was blaming the Christians to get the heat off himself. Paul had been a prisoner in Rome before and had apparently been released. Evidence indicates after that release he made a long desired missionary journey uh, to Spain and then once again visited all of his beloved churches. But then... He apparently went back to Rome, perhaps to come to the defense of the Christians there, and was once again arrested. Now he knew from the political climate that this time his days were numbered. For as he wrote, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He could see that like wine being poured on the altar, his blood was about to be shed. He knew that death was just around the corner, but he didn't view it as an execution. There's no comment about Nero taking his life. Instead, he speaks of an offering. He was offering his life to God as an act of worship, which was not a new idea to Paul. He had always viewed his life. As an offering to God. And now that death was imminent. He merely saw it as the final act. Of that offering. And he was not afraid. Death for him. Was merely a departure. So he could be with his Lord. He would already expressed that in Philippians chapter 1. 21 through 24. He says. For to me. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will remain fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. At that point in his life, he was confident he would live. Now he knew he was about to die. The time for his departure had come. And the word he used for departure is an interesting word. It literally means an unloosing, like a ship being loosened from its moorings so it could depart for a distant shore. He was being set free. The word's also used of striking a tent, taking it down. And Paul used that as a picture of death in 2 Corinthians 5. He says for we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now being loosed is a good way to think of the freedom we will experience when our spirit is set free from the restraints of this life. So Paul's not distraught by the prospects of his impending death. Life on death row was for him life at the very door of heaven. So his faith was sufficient for the present no matter the circumstances. And that doesn't surprise us because he had proven his faith in the past. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Wouldn't that look good engraved on granite? I like that. But Paul wrote it before his death, confident that he would finish the race. He knew that he would not fall out on the last lap. Even before the fact, he could say with confidence, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, most commentators believe that Paul is using just one analogy here, not three. Rather than a military picture, an athletic picture, and a religious one, he, he is simply picturing life as an athletic contest. So when he says, I have fought the good fight, he's probably not trying to paint a picture of warfare here, even though we are engaged in spiritual warfare. He's talking about an athletic event. And the word he used is the word from which we get the word agonized. And he used it twice. Basically, he said, I have agonized the good agony, or I have struggled the good struggle. The word, again, is often used of an athletic struggle, like a wrestling match. Paul had fought like a wrestler in the arena of life. And that can be agonizing. I know. I had two matches as a heavyweight in high school, before they brought in a football player who was bigger and stronger to take my place. (laughs) In my first match, I just tried to keep the gorilla I was facing from catching me. (laughs) I danced around the mat for two minutes. (laughs) In the second match, I confidently tied up with what appeared to be the Pillsbury Doughboy, only to be crushed by muscles that were hidden within. Uh, So I don't know that I would call my wrestling experiences good, but Paul viewed his struggles in life as a good fight. His faith had enabled him to see that the struggle was good. It was accomplishing something good. It was worth the effort. Sometimes we don't see it. Paul's faith enabled him to see his struggles as good. He had fought the good fight. And he had finished the course. Now notice he doesn't say that he had won the race, merely that he had finished the course. Now he does challenge us in 1 Corinthians 9 to run in such a way as to win, even reminding us that Only one receives the prize in a race. But even more important than winning is finishing the race. While we should do our very best to win, we really don't have to beat anyone else in the race of life. All we have to do is finish it in a way that pleases our Lord. Sometimes, Finishing is even harder than winning. You know, when it becomes obvious that a win is out of reach, we have a tendency to just give up. We really have to dig deep to keep going. In sports, it's often the heroic effort of those who persevere in last place and still cross the line that really inspires us. I'll never never forget the room full of kids We were watching Cool Runnings with us in Jamaica 25 years ago. When the Jamaican bobsled team, which is really weird to begin with, when they carried their bobsled across the finish line in last place, the whole room went crazy. There was more excitement than I had seen when Jamaica's soccer team had actually won an international race or match. Even when he thought he was, or others thought he was out of the race, Paul's faith enabled him to finish. He had kept the faith. And not only had he endured, he'd been faithful to the rules of the game. Now, most of you are aware that I'm not a big sports fan. It's not a secret. But I do go to a lot of sporting events because my grandkids are in them. And I cheer them on. But I seldom join in the booing of referees or suggest that they should wake up their seeing eye dog. (laughs) I have heard that. (laughs) You know, I don't know the rules of the game well enough to disagree with the officials. You know, I did finally figure out what offside is in soccer, and I looked it up. It's not really offsides. It's offside, so, right? All right, offside. I finally figured out what that was. But I still can't figure out how many steps you can take while making a layup without being called for traveling or what really constitutes a foul in basketball. girl's basketball is vicious. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. I mean, mm. (laughs) anyway, let girls be. No, I'll be here. stop. But be a spectator, you know? It's really not all the essential that I understand the rules of the game if I'm just watching it. And I don't have to agree with the rules (laughs) if I even knew them. But if I were a player, I would have to know them and obey them, or I'd be disqualified. Paul was faithful to the rules. He didn't cut corners or break faith when no one was looking. He knew the goal was worth the price, and he wouldn't risk losing it by cheating. He kept the faith. He never lost sight of the goal. He knew what he was working for, Because he had faith in the future. He says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul knew what lay ahead. He had no doubts about it. He was completely confident that in the future the very near future for him there was laid up there was reserved for him a crown of righteousness a reward that would be worth any price he had paid. In Romans 8:18 8, he stated, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And of course, as you're well aware, I love the way J.B. Phillips puts it. In my opinion, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I do. And Paul believed it. He knew he had a crown coming, not a, a diadem, a, a crown of a king, but a victor's wreath like the ones given in the ancient Olympian games. The difference being, of course, that this wreath wouldn't fade and wither like a laurel wreath. This one would be imperishable, and he would wear it for all eternity. And Maybe that's where the idea of a halo comes from. This crown of righteousness. Now, do note that the crown of righteousness is not a crown consisting of righteousness. We're not going to be crowned with righteousness. We're going to be given a crown for having lived a righteous life. A crown for righteousness. That might be better. And we do become righteous... Now, not after we die. We are made righteous by Christ through the forgiveness made possible on Calvary. We are made righteous now. And the judge, the judge who will award us the crown is the one who has made it possible for us to be righteous. So we have nothing to fear. You know, We're not boasting if we say that we are righteous. We are expressing confidence in our Savior. Do you understand that? Don't be afraid. To declare your righteousness. Because it's a gift from Christ. It's not something you earned by your behavior. We have been made righteous. And the one who made us righteous, the one who saved us, is the one who's going to judge us. I like that. I like that. And He's obviously a righteous judge. His judgment will be right without prejudice or malice. Not like Nero or even a referee or umpire in a game who makes mistakes. We have nothing to fear from the righteous judge. Not if we love him and have lived our lives anticipating his appearing. Not in fear of him, anticipating his coming. If we've lived our lives anticipating the coming of Christ, there's no fear. In his coming. We have nothing to fear. From the judge. Not if we love him. And we're waiting for him. And that reward will be given to all who have loved his appearing. Not just to those who have accomplished great things for God. As did the Apostle Paul of course. He didn't earn his righteousness by what he did. It was a gift to him just as our righteousness is a gift. We don't earn the crown of righteousness by our works. It was given again to those who have been made righteous by the blood of Christ and who therefore love him and trust him and long for his coming. No one can earn that crown. Not even Paul. But he knew it would be his because of his undying faith. Faith that had seen him through the struggles of life. Faith that enabled him to handle a very precarious current situation and a faith that would see him faithfully through the doors of death into eternal life. Paul was confident About the future. Because he knew the way of the cross leads home. What Christ did on the cross for him was the key that unlocked eternity. And Paul had confidence in that. That's what he trusted. And if we have accepted that gift, that gift of righteousness... We know that it's true for us as well. In the season of giving thanks, obviously the greatest gift of all is the gift of righteousness given to us by Christ. So when we stand before him, he sees perfection. Not that we've accomplished, but that we're covered by because the judge sees his son. The way of the cross leads home. Let's never forget that.